Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. And today we are discussing... Amadeus, Amadeus, by Falco. Falco. 85, the year after 1984, Amadeus by Milos Forman. Look at that. Cultural milestone. So did you have to watch this in, in school, like in middle school? No, I've never seen this movie before. Really? Nominated for 11 Oscars or something and took home eight of them? That's a lot of Oscars. Wow. Eight. F. Murray Abraham's performance. Amazing. Yeah. Not many people know him beyond this role. Career-defining role. Maybe the same could be said for Tom Hulse. So career-defining, it's uh, he's almost like the Luke Skywalker of this movie. <laughs> Looking at his credits, yeah. I don't see anything that I really recognize. But his face is so familiar. I remember watching this movie in middle school when I think the best I could hope for, like I hadn't even seen Batman at that point. So I don't know what I was watching, E.T. or something. And I remember thinking this movie looked funny. Like it looked dark and dank and like not cool at all. Was Mozart hot? Tom Holtz? Yep. No, he was more of a curiosity to me. And this whole movie was kind of a curiosity to me. Well, because but... as Mozart, as a, as a musical genius, definitely got the chicks. I just want to give you the context I had for this film going in. I knew that people really liked it and didn't expect to. And I kind of had a certain amount of expectation for it to be good. The costumes were so elaborate and, I assume, period accurate. And yet they all had these weird Americana 1980s accents and didn't even attempt to put on German, Italian, faux European accents at all. And the comedy was very American slapstick. And I just found myself kind of curious and entranced by it all. But I don't know that I was like totally drawn in. Although it didn't feel like 1984, like Splash felt way more dated than this. Yeah, no, this was a big movie. This was a, a movie that was in the line of 80s biopics that were high prestige pictures, Oscar winners after Gandhi and things. But... You have to bear in mind that the that Amadeus was based on the stage play Amadeus by Peter Schaefer. So there are two levels 
of removal from reality, right? It was already dramatized in a way that lent itself to a movie, but they didn't necessarily approach it from a narratively accurate standpoint. So the question is whether or not a German accent in English, when they have no business speaking English, is as effective as speaking German. If you're not going to speak Italian or German, but you speak English in a German or Italian accent, even though you should be speaking German, does that make any more sense? I guess if you're suspending disbelief, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. But it was a little extra confusing in this case because there were Italians and Germans living in Vienna, all speaking English, and talking about whether or not opera should be in German or Italian. Salieri had a more refined, dignified speech, but Tom Holtz definitely was just an American guy. And Stanzi in particular, I thought, was not very well cast as a wife of anybody, anything other than American, right? Yeah, she was also like 12. Okay. I think this movie was meant to be as accessible as possible for someone who is not a musical genius, for audiences who don't know much about the music other than the, uh, you know, the major compositions, like the priest in the hospital would have been able to identify. I mean, basically, he was our vehicle for receiving the story. Right. And we've reviewed a few movies now that are period pieces that are based on historical people where we've taken some issue with the liberty taken, you know, in terms of dramatic storytelling and and sometimes drama being infused just for the sake of drama. And uh, I think Amadeus in that way is another level of curious uh, because it really stretches and manipulates the truth. A lot of it is based on speculation and hearsay and then a stage play, which is obviously meant to be a dramatization. I think that stage work is much more heavily dramatized, right? It's not nuance in a film. Uh, kind of the whole thing is stylized in a dramatic sense that makes it different, a different animal from film altogether. Well, it has to be more spectacle, right? Just given its format. it can't. You can't rely on the nuances of performance and close-ups. And yeah, there, and so there's the grandiosity of, uh, there's projection and speech, and there's the musical numbers that in this case would stand in for, you know, the characters bursting into song. In this case, they're bursting into opera. Yeah, they used Mozart's music really well. It didn't feel heavy-handed, and they also incorporated it. Like, I really enjoyed the music, especially when it gave us a window into his mind when he was reading music and music came alive in his head. Like that was really, it was a really cool use to get inside of his head. Well, for Salieri, largely that happened, right? When he's re- looking at Mozart's, or the original copies of all his works and flipping through the pages and we'll, we'll just, we slam through all these different, uh, you know, sort of dense, intricate compositions as he's r- rifling through the pages. Right. But there was also that lovely scene where Mozart was deep in thought and composition. And then Stanzi comes in and breaks his trance and suddenly the music stops. And then you realize that what we were hearing was actually in his head and not underscore. Yeah, his train of thought was interrupted. Yeah, really cool. And of course, you can't get away from one of the most most iconic scenes in in music movies, which is him dictating the the Requiem 
to Salieri, who's trying desperately to keep up, who can't follow his thought process, let alone match his brilliance in composition. Right. So much so that it's like boggling his mind. He's like, that doesn't work. Wait, it does. And you can see the wheels turning. Right. But it's so good because the intricacies of the composition and how dense and and, and complex they are get broken down by individual elements. Right. You have the drums and they go along with the music and you have the tenors come in. And on this note, and he doesn't understand. And then Mozart kind of plays it in his head. And of course, we can hear it. But we hear those individual beats like musical stems uh, today, the individual recordings on the soundboard that you mix together for a whole song. Yeah, you definitely get the sense. Yeah, you definitely get the sense of how many balls he has to have in the air in order to compose a symphony or an opera or a requiem. So Stanzi steals that moment from from Salieri, right? She doesn't allow him to take credit for the Requiem. Yeah. And so she comes and takes it away from him, refuses to let him, and then he dies, of course. Were you really emotional when he died? Uh, no. I felt like he was an unlikable character, as unflinchingly honest as he might have been. He never put on airs. I mean, he tried to be subservient to the court because he wanted positions and he he frankly wanted to make money. But I don't think he ever really pretended to be something that he wasn't. If he would, because I do know that he wrote some profane music, but if he were an ugly person in his compositions, that would have shown through. Or if he wanted to be deliberately offensive, that would have shown through. So it is weird to see this sort of genius come from an instrument that's so unrefined. Hmm. Because Salieri regarded his gift for music as a gift from God. And the fact that God would put a creature on earth to make him question his own gifts was God playing a trick on him. Right. I mean, it feels like genius inspires the divine, right? Like Beyonce saying when she hears... Adele saying that she hears the voice of God. Beyonce said that? <laughs> yeah. Um, Look at her giving props to a rival. Yeah. She can respect. But um, Mozart was so himself and perhaps even accepting of it. But I think that allowed him to do his best work. Whereas Salieri played the game and he, on the surface, was like very refined. But underneath he was conniving and he was... He was obsessed with Mozart, and whereas if he had diverted that obsession into his music, perhaps he could have been better. Or if he just kind of accepted his music for what it was and that it wasn't like Mozart's. But unfortunately, he was up against someone with considerably more genius than he possessed, right? And so that kind of carves away at the refined exterior of Salieri, and you get that, that gross underbelly of a guy who ultimately would compromise someone else to kind of allay his fears of inferiority. I mean, basically, he had a crisis of faith, and it was very pronounced. It was throughout the film. I mean, the whole thing is delivered to a priest. You know, I thought was interesting was the opening scene, Salieri wailing and, like, attempting suicide, and the servants at his door, like, eating his sweets, and, like, (laughs) being like, mmm, so good, open the door, we're going to eat all these sweets. And I think that it was good at setting the tone because there were so many comedic slapsticky things in this otherwise pretty serious classical music crisis of faith film. This was definitely lighthearted in a lot of ways, right? I think that's a good observation that it definitely set a tone because it's strange and bizarre. And you know something horrible is going on, but from the very get-go, 
they're making sure that we are that we understand the levity in this movie. So what I find myself doing is kind of defending this movie and its silly disregard for accents and sort of any kind of portrayal. I do remember something about Milos Forman saying that he wanted naturalistic performers and not to worry about having their performances, their natural performances encumbered by accents and just to give the best performance. So in doing so, it allowed for those so that sort of more joking irreverence and, and funny stuff and, uh, not taking itself too seriously, which honestly might have detracted from the serious efficacy of the film. It might not have been regarded as a quote-unquote serious film. But it's also told through Salieri, who's kind of a sad, comical figure. He's not as comic or grotesque as Mozart, but he's definitely a silly old man. But he's not just a typical unreliable narrator. I would go so far as to say that it's possible that everything he sees, whether factual or not, for the purposes of this movie were manufactured by him or are his recollections of the actual events. But I think the character believes firmly that he killed Mozart. And so that is the version of the story that we're presented with. I mean, if he really believes he killed Mozart, then he had little to no remorse about it. And he certainly doesn't ask for forgiveness for it. Well, I do think he was sad about it. I mean, he screams Mozart's name. I'm sorry, Mozart, while he's trying to commit suicide. I just think that by that point, decades have passed. This this boy whose face he probably hardly remembers, never had a photograph of, certainly, uh, exists in his memory as a person that he deprived the world of. And, uh, and is, it kind of haunts him on a daily basis. I get the sense that a lot of people, when they refer to crimes or traumatic incidents in their lives, do so with kind of a level of humor and removal because you can't exist in that level of tension and guilt and pain forever, right? It just kind of becomes woven into the fabric of your personality. Yeah, but even at the however long he said it was after the fact, but he in the room when he knows that Mozart is dying, he doesn't let up. He doesn't try and save him or help him get medical attention. I mean, he keeps, he prohibits people from giving him medical attention and they send him home where he can kind of monitor him until he dies, until it's done. Right. In a strange way, it, it's obvious what's important to him, right? It's not as if he was using him, trying to kill him necessarily with the Requiem Mass. He definitely wanted Mozart dead, but in the end, he desperately wants to finish it. It's, it's kind of, they both kind of get caught up in the music and he really wants it to be done so much so that when Stanzi comes in, uh, even whether, regardless of whether Mozart will die at that point or not, they're not quite finished when Stanzi comes and rips the composition out of their hands. I honestly think that Salieri had respect for Mozart the whole time. He was honored and really felt the glory of God, I guess, when he was helping him to, com to compose. It's like he glimpses what, what true magic is and what a true gift is, and they kind of bonded in that moment, even though he was technically trying to kill him. <laughs> It's it's a weird interplay and a relationship and a dynamic that made me think of one well, long after the fact. I guess Whiplash made me think of Amadeus, and in this way, revisiting Amadeus, I thought of Whiplash, where you have uh, you know the two peoples kind of pitted against each other, but in the end, it all comes down to the music that brought them together in the first place. Right, and striving for that perfection and that excellence. 
it is not as if they set aside their problems, their feuds, their backstabbing, but rather than in that moment, they connected over that which had affected them so sublimely. And in fact, which motivated, you know, any, any of their, uh, their actions in kind of sabotaging the other poor Mozart. Yeah. I mean, in real life, Salieri, you know, he may have been riddled with guilt or whatever in this movie. There was a gossip that Salieri had actually killed Mozart based on a letter that Mozart wrote saying that he was convinced he had been poisoned. And he complained about the Italians and Salieri was the preeminent Italian composer in Vienna at the time. And in fact, of course, Mozart died and we don't know exactly where he is. And it's true he died penniless, but Salieri died one of the richest composers in Europe at the time. Why did Mozart get dumped into a mass grave? Why? Because I think he was too poor to afford a proper burial. I think the characters were larger than life, similar to their wardrobe and costumes and their comedy. There was just like a little bit, I think that they took the period thing and instead of trying to, like you said, take themselves too seriously and go super accurate like... Mel Gibson doing like Jesus in Aramaic or like doing the Mayan movie. Yeah, Apocalypto. Yeah. Obviously Passion of the Christ. Right. Like he wants to go super authentico, whereas in in this they were like, what can we do? Like the comedy, the costumes, even the casting, like let's just go larger than life. And in a way, they also chose characters who were just like a little bit off or like a little unsettling. And therein was some of the comedy as well. You you know that I like movies that are authentic, but obviously for some of the my favorite movies, you have to sacrifice some authenticity for, for accessibility. You kind of shore them up and firm up the story for dramatic purposes and things, change timelines. I admire it when they commit to movies that are authentic across the board. And yet I don't feel that way that this movie suffered necessarily because of it. I think that this movie was certainly about the rivalry and the guilt of the relationship between Mozart and Salieri. And I think that it was presented effectively, especially through F. Murray Abraham, who gave a great performance. We can see all of the emotions on his face. I think Mozart was pretty transparent. He said and did whatever he wanted, uh, much to the ire of Salieri and most other people. But when he needed to deliver, he would do so. And he took his music and his work very seriously, as Stanzi said. Certainly not a, a lazy person. But I think the most effective part that this movie imparted was through the tricks that it used to really put the music in our heads and break it down in a way that made sense to us, especially as as it made sense to Salieri and how it was obvious that Mozart's skill level so far surpassed Salieri that he felt, even himself, a successful composer, felt less than. I felt that, you know, him sort of aping on Salieri's introductory march so effectively where he could just sit down after a single listen and bang out variations on the spot and improve upon it was really telling. Uh, the, the dictation of the, the Requiem was another, and uh, just watching how Salieri had just enough skill and ability to recognize Mozart's brilliance where nobody else seemed to. And yes, he sabotaged Don Giovanni and things so he would only play a handful of times in Vienna, but at the same time, Mozart wasn't ha- people didn't weren't flocking to him as a successful composer in the same way presumably in this movie because Salieri was maybe the only one who could truly recognize his genius 
in his lifetime. And Salieri was also systematically limiting Mozart's exposure, not only to the public, but to the his elite clientele and maybe even to the emperor. So I'm trying to figure out why I feel compelled to sort of defend this movie, which on the surface could be pretty silly. I mean, it might as well have been a stage play in New York or something, which of course it was. It was basically like space balls in 18th century Vienna. <laughs> you think it was a comedy on that level? It could it could have been. The, the, the costumes were a little bit too nice and there was a little bit too much heart, but it's in the same vein for sure. But I think this movie was crafted specifically for American ears. And uh, it won American awards, American Oscars. And they didn't really put on airs, but their sort of dismissal of authenticity in terms of language or accents, I don't think took away from what ultimately was the uh, the strongest, most affecting factors of this movie. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a little bit 1980s myopia, like the U.S. audience is the only audience that really matters anyway. <laughs> Good word. But definitely, still, it's context, right? Like in in I Love Lucy in the 50s, before international travel was hugely accessible, um, people didn't know what people were like from the far reaches of Borneo or the exotic East. Right. Looks like a dream I'd have after eating too much Chinese food. Actual line. But I guess maybe, I mean, is it silly to say that the universal language of this movie was the music? It was a great commercial vehicle to deliver <laughs> classical, amazing music that we maybe don't have the ability to or can't otherwise appreciate. Definitely a best-selling soundtrack. I mean, was it just Mozart recordings? Well, no. And while Mozart wasn't really well-known in his time, certainly we came to appreciate him after the fact, but this movie uh, gave a considerable bump to the largely forgotten, the stage play, and this movie gave a bump to the, to Salieri's compositions. Oh, well, there you go. Whole new life. I wish it had done the same for F. Murray Abraham and or Tom Hulse. Yeah, it would have been awesome to have had more of him. He was great. So I am looking for three ratings from you. One, if you can go back to that junior high schooler and think about what you would have given this movie then, and then your rating for the memory of this film, and then your current rating. Fair enough. In middle school, I did not like this movie. I certainly liked the diversion from schoolwork. We got to watch a movie, and that was cool. I was not looking forward to a movie about Mozart because anybody, you know, any movie that they watch that's historically based while we're in school is going to suck, right? I remember thinking that it looked off. It didn't look like the polished movies that I was accustomed to. I attributed that to what I found out to be the use of mostly natural lighting. It looked funny to me. It didn't look right. At the time, I would have given it a whatever rating. I didn't hate it, but I certainly didn't appreciate it. And I did come into it with the sort of expectation that you did in this case, where a lot of people love this movie. You know, and I've watched this movie since I bought it, you know, a number of years ago. I've probably watched it 10 times, and I've come to really like this movie. I suggested this movie because I know that it has flaws that I felt I was pretty sure I would have to defend it against. I'm going to give this movie a totally rating just because of how effective it is 
and what it set out to do, as long as we're not talking in regards to authenticity, either on a historical, factual basis of the life of Mozart, his relationship with Salieri, the languages he spoke, the trajectory of his life, and ultimately what caused his death. I don't know for sure. I'm not sure that anybody knows 100% for sure, but the movie as it was is presented as a historical piece but definitely tells its own heavily dramatized and I think really effective story. Totally. Wow. Yeah. I came in having high expectations, although I knew very little and was maybe even misled about what this movie was about. And I have to admit that I was kind of on the fence. This movie was definitely endearing to me. I was charmed by it, but I also was not in it because I found it to be odd and a curiosity. The performances were lovely. The use of the music was brilliant. The story was the tone. Man, the tone. I think it, like, maybe even on the tone alone, I would give this movie a good. Because it was a very difficult tone that could have gone very, very badly. It could have gone like Nice Guys. And Is that the official rating? I was a little bit on the fence, but I think that even watching this movie in 2020, 2020... Is that right? Yeah, 2020. I was like, that sounds weird. Even if I look at this from a 2020 lens, I think it's still a good movie. That is our review on Amadeus, which could have been called Mozart. Um, but that might have been too much on the nose. A whatever, totally. co- a whatever come totally rating from Wes. Yep. An evolving rating from Wes. And a good from Iris. That's our talk on Amadeus. Thank you, Patreon patrons, for your support. We hope that you love our movie favorites as much as we do. Let us know what you think. 818-835-0374 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Electric acid.